Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I love ya, I love ya, I love ya, and where you go, I'll broadcast, I'll broadcast, I'll broadcast. Welcome in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abaurea. Tweet me at NateWST. Keep the hate mail coming. I swear to God, everyone, everyone's been attending the player haters ball over the last week. The most diabolical haters this side of the Mississippi. They've been coming at me on Twitter, but you know what? I can take it. If you can't stand the hate, Get out the kitchen. That's right. But if you know, if you want to just send me like a nice love note, you want to tell me how much you love the show, you want to tell me how much you enjoy all of the World Soccer Talk programming from the, the Prem Review show to, to this one, to the, the special edition podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you want to do that, you want to send me a nice positive loving note on Twitter, feel free to do that. More than welcome. Again, at NateWST and at World Soccer Talk to get a hold of all of us. A very special edition of the show. I'm very glad that you're tuning in for this one. A legend of of my favorite football club in the whole world. A a Liverpool FC legend. A, A man who... Also, as a longtime Major League Soccer manager and someone who you know is a television voice for ESPN FC is going to be with us. I speak, of course, of the great Steve Nichol. And for those of you that might not be totally familiar with Steve Nichol's playing career, you heard Craig Burley actually touch on this back when, when Craig was on the show late this past summer. And Craig said, of all the guys at ESPN FC, Steve Nichols, the one who's a European Cup winner, a a multi-time English First Division winner, an FA Cup champion. I mean, he he is a a storied footballer with medals and trophies to his name. He was part of one of the greatest Liverpool dynasties, shall we call it, in English football history. Those Liverpool teams from the 1980s and, and even in to the early 90s, you'd never know it. By talking to Steve Nichols, he's one of the one of the most humble people you'll ever meet. But again, 14 seasons, 343 appearances for the Mighty Reds. So cannot wait to go down memory lane with Steve Nichols. Talk about his time at Liverpool. Talk about his pathway into coaching and his eventual pathway into broadcasting and punditry with that great crew over there at ESPN FC. A proud Scott, a proud Liverpool legend with us on the other side of the break. It's Steve Nichols alongside yours truly, Nate Abarea, right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Cheers. 
listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, that's yeah! ah! Welcome back in to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Our guest in this edition of the show, all you Liverpool fans know this man quite well. 343 appearances in 14 seasons on Merseyside for the Mighty Reds. All you fans of the New England Revolution know him as a longtime manager of your club. And all you fans of ESPN FC, well, you see him quite often on your television screens. Steve Nichol, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. So a whole lot to talk about with you, but one thing that I want to start off talking about here is I I, I hear rumors of an upcoming Steve Nichol autobiography and uh, some involvement with our our mutual friend Mark Donaldson. You care to tell us a little bit more about this project? Sure, yeah. I mean, people have been asking me for a long time, you know, when I'm going to write a book, why wouldn't you write a book? You should do it. And it really wasn't something that I wanted to do, to be honest. Uh, it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a couple of years after I'd actually been here at ESPN that it kind of, it kind of, it just kind of felt right and just felt like the right time to do it. And having Mark here uh, day in and day out, I thought was, was packed because, you know, you really need to spend time with somebody um, when you're talking about an autobiography, mine is a little different than what you probably get these days. You know, you've got 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds and even 21-year-olds pulling out these autobiographies. And, and that's, to me, that's not right. So I wanted to do this properly. Um, it's not going to be countless games that I scored in. It's It's more about thoughts behind what happened or... You know, going into to Heysel, for instance, um, or going into to Rome. You know, what was going through my head, taking that penalty kick that I missed. So it's it's really all personal stuff that I never thought I would ever want anybody to know. But being with Mark every day and being able to sit down and and just talk, and he just types away and lets me ramble on and. We're pretty much done and dusted with it. It's it's just a case now of, of putting it together, but I'm sure people enjoy it. As I said, it's it really is about my thoughts. Um, it's not about anything other than that, and it's very, very honest and straight to the point. Not controversial, but honest. Very much, very much look forward to uh, to checking that out when it when it does come out. And Mark Donaldson, again, a, a great great friend of the show, someone we've had on uh, a couple times before, and uh, definitely the the quality Scottish connection uh, on display yet again there as well. And and I, I got to ask you as far as the mental side of your game because I've I've studied your career extensively, and there's so many great points within. But I want to go back to your first season. At Liverpool, and and you go go back to to the early 1980s. You end up spending 14 years with the club, and and there's all the honors, all the trophies, all the famous moments. But when you think back to the the very beginning of it, and being a a young lad at Anfield, and and all the the legends that were around you guys that were already established, just legends of the game. What did that do for you as a player, both both? professionally as as on-field talent and also the mental side of the game, the guys that you were surrounded by at such a young age at Liverpool, Steve? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing that you have to to do is is be accepted. Uh, that's that's the only way you survive uh, in a place where there are so many good players and so many strong characters. You know, you talk about the mental side of the game; it really is fifty percent of it. So you have to you have to be like that as well. But at the same time, coming from a United, a uh, small club. I'm not going to walk through the door and, and gain that experience and have that. But if you're smart uh, and you keep your mouth shut and you keep your ears open and you you kind of soak in and smell in what's going on around you, that that seeps into you without without you actually going out of your way to do it. It, it. it becomes part of you. But the very very right at the very beginning, it's about being accepted as a football player as much as anything else. Well, Steve, when you talk about having the mouth shut and the ears open and, and earning everything in a situation like that, what are some of the stories that, that come to mind in that regard when you, when you think back on it all these years later? Um, on a, I mean, on the playing side, it, it, it really is a case of, you know, you pick a pass during a game or you do something during a game that you really don't think about. And it's not until afterwards when maybe you're watching it uh, or you sit and talk to one of the other players about, you know, they always, the coaching staff always, were always asking about your thought process. You know, what were you thinking at that particular time? And for me, the the, the thing that rang true with me was when I turned around once and said, well, to be honest, I really wasn't thinking. I just did it. I, I could see a little look in their eyes to say, you know what, that, you know, we've, we've started getting through to this guy because it's all about. It's all about the process and it's all about being smooth and getting things done. And if you have to think, overthink it or think too long about it, then it's, it disappears. So just being sucked into that atmosphere and, and that environment and, and actually becoming part of it without really, without really a certain minute in time that, that you decide that's what you're going to do. You just, you just soak it in and it, it becomes part of you. Without a doubt. And I, I look back on, on that roster, that squad of, of that first Liverpool team that, that you were a part of. And, and you see names like Ian Rush. You see names like Kenny Dalgleish, David Fairclough, Graham Souness, Phil Thompson. The, the, the list goes on and on. These are guys that obviously are, are legends of the club and legends of the, of the game in, in Great Britain. And uh, the, the diversity there from, from Scots to Welsh to Englishmen. Who were some of the guys that, that you remember the most opening up to you uh, at at a young age when you were first at Liverpool? Well, no surprise. I mean, the Scottish contingent, which there was a big Scottish contingent at the time, kind of took me under their wing. Um, at the same time, I'd have to say that they were the very first ones that would wind me up and, <laughs> and uh, put me in some positions that <laughs> maybe weren't the best. Uh, but it was all done, uh, it was all done um, in, in good-natured fashion, you know. Um, but definitely the Scots guys. But to be honest, really, really, truly, and simply, this this group that I walked into was was just together. I mean, nothing, nothing happened at the club without everybody doing it together. You know, nights out, um, being on tour. You know, it wasn't two and three guys going somewhere and two and three other guys going there. The mentality was right: we're going out, but we're all going together and we're all staying together. I mean, that was just how it was. Uh, this, the group was so tight. 
And of course, when you've got such a tight group, it doesn't matter whether you're a 19-year-old kid like me coming into the group, or whether you're a Graham Sooners or a Kenny Dalgleish, everybody looks after everybody else, which, I mean, I'd, I'd never really seen that before. Steve, did you ever imagine in, in your wildest dreams at this at this time that we're going back to that you'd end up spending 14 years at Liverpool Football Club? No, no. It, it, it seems like a long time. It sounds like a long time, but it went very quickly. I, I actually remember Matt Lawrence saying to me pretty early on when I got there that look, he just said, look, enjoy yourself. He said, because you know what? It's going to be over before you think. And I was... I was nodding my head thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> but honestly, I'm I'm sitting here now and I'm thinking, wow, did that happen? It, it really goes so quickly that you have to you have to try and enjoy it um, every chance you get because it just doesn't last forever. Our guest in this edition of the show is Steve Nichol. And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about Steve's pathway into coaching here in America, in fact, as well as his pathway into broadcasting and how that all came out and how the move to the East Coast of America even happened in the first place. Very much enjoying the show. Hope you're enjoying this episode as well. And you can get the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, and of course, the website worldsoccertalk.com, in addition to listening to us live right here on Sports Byline. Nate Abarea and Steve Nickel back with you after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nate Abarea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. This man is absolute magic that belongs in a different galaxy altogether. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio, Nate Abarea and Steve Nickel here with you and Steve we we jump past uh, the the Liverpool playing days now and I, I want to ask you about your first move to the east coast of the United States and your move to Boston there's some very interesting backstories to all this that I'm not sure a lot of people actually know about could you shine a little bit of light into what moved you across the Atlantic in the first place back in the late 90s yeah, I was. I was actually. I had just finished playing with uh, Sheffield Wednesday in the Premier League, um, and I was looking to to start doing my coaching badges, um, and I was hoping to just keep playing as well. So I, I got. I was playing with Doncaster non-league, um, which is just up the road from Sheffield, while I was doing my badges, uh, and uh, I got a call from my agent saying that he had spoken to to John Kerr, who is now the Duke coach. And he said, or asked if I would be interested going over there uh, and playing and help him coach the team. And quite frankly, I I hadn't had any other offers when I'd finished playing. Um, and I thought, my kids are 14 and 12. And if I was going to take a chance, I had to do it straight away because... If we were going to come over, we were going to come for a year uh, and see how it went. And if it worked, then great. But if it didn't, then it wouldn't affect the kids' education at home. Um, 16 years later, we're still here. So I went I went over there, um, played for the Boston Bulldogs in the old A-League uh, and was helping with the coaching. And, and John Kerr 
had an offer from Harvard University to go and coach them. So then I became the head coach. Uh, from there, a couple of seasons there, uh, at the end of the first season, the revolution actually made a coaching change. I uh, got rid of Walter Zenga with a couple of games to go. Uh, and I basically took over for the last two games, spoke to Sunil Galati, and we kind of mutually agreed that I wasn't ready for MLS. I knew nothing about the players or the system um, or how it worked. And so I went back to the Bulldogs uh, until, again, probably 18 months later, another coaching change um, where I was asked to go as an assistant coach to Fernando Covillo. Uh, he... He was relieved of his duties, as they say. Uh, and then I was given the interim job for the rest of the, that first season. Um, and then 10 years later, I left. <laughs> well, what do you remember about the, the earliest days for you with, with the revolution, the, the earlier days of, of Major League Soccer as a league? What do you, what do you remember about those first few, first few matches coaching with the revolution? Well, fortunately, I had been there for probably five months, four months, uh, leading up to Fernando Cavio leaving. Uh, so I kind of knew, I kind of knew what was what was needed, uh, which which really was a bunch of players who really needed to find some confidence, uh, because looking around the rest of the league, uh, in that four or five months, I realised that. Individually, our players were as good as anybody else, any other team. So it was a case of getting confidence up. Uh, it took a little while. You know, we didn't make a particularly great start. I won the first game in charge, but then, my goodness, I think it was another seven or eight games before we actually won again. Uh, but having got the, the confidence up and really forgetting about the other teams, um, I did absolutely nothing uh, before games uh, in relation to the opposition. Every single thing I did that season was about us and about concentrating on what we were good at. And if we did, to the best of our ability, what we were good at, then guess what? We didn't need to worry about anybody else. So that's kind of that's kind of what the first season was all about. Was it at all a challenge for you staying away from your playing days because I mean we, we we talk about these names that you were alongside for so long at Liverpool the likes of of Graham Sunis the Kenny Dalgleishes the the Ian Rushes of the world I mean these these true world-class footballers was it ever something that was a challenge for you adapting to maybe a a slightly lesser uh talent pool in terms of of Major League Soccer as a coach Steve no absolutely not at all no part of the Part of the genius of Liverpool is, is whether you are a superstar or not, basically if you're asked to clean the toilets, you're expected to do it. I mean, everybody's the same. Nobody, you know, whether, whether one guy's better on the field than another guy, uh, as, as far as the, the group's concerned, we're, we're all equals. Listen, is there, a, is there a hierarchy among the players? Yes, there is. But at the end of the day, if you didn't show whoever you were that you were mocking in, then you would you would stand out. So you had to do what was necessary, uh, and that's kind of how I saw it. Um, if I went and judged everybody on that group of players I played with, well, they'd never gotten anywhere anyway. So I'd have been better off 
packing <laughs> packing my coaching <laughs> books up and walking out. So so you have to you figure out what you've got. You figure out the talents that your players have, and then you try and put it together, or you try and put them on the field, both individually and as a group, in a position where it's going to benefit everybody. Now, Steve, when when you you said that quote moments ago, it doesn't matter who you are, the the best player, the lowest player on the team. If you're asked to clean the toilets, you do it. it, it it's a, it's a quote that reminds me. Oh, so much of, of the late, great Bill Shankly. And obviously, you never, you never played for Bill Shankly, but considering his, his legacy as a Liverpool manager, his legacy as, as a Scot himself, how much of an inspiration as, as a manager for you was, was Bill Shankly? Um, I mean, he, everything, everything that I walked into was, was a product of what he started. I mean, you couldn't fail. You couldn't fail to to figure out where where everything came, where the thought process came from. You know, the training and the preparation. I mean, everything about it was exactly how it had been under Shanks. I mean, Liverpool are famous for for uh, promoting within, and of course, when you do that, then that's why something like that continues through Bob Paisley, through Fagan. Uh, kind of changed a couple of little things, uh, but pretty much the same thought process. So all those all those instincts that I have now, and and the way that I treated players, and the way I treat people I work with, it, it all stems from the same thing. It stems from all the philosophies that Shankly laid down, and which people like Ronnie Moran, Roy Evans, as as, a, as coaches, bashed into you every single day. Steve, do you have a, a, a favorite Bill Shankly quote by chance? Uh, oh God, there's a few of them, wouldn't there? Um, I thought, <laughs> there's, actually, there's actually a story about Bill when, uh, obviously, early 60s, um, food, food for professionals wasn't quite what it was today. And, you know, Bill had a mate who was a butcher and a couple of the younger guys. Uh, he did a deal to to try and beef them up a little bit, and they would go to the butcher and get get some meat a lot cheaper than most people, and get them going. And, and one of those kids had had come in to see Bill one day, and um, uh, Bob, sorry, and chapped the door, and Bob let him in. And Bob, I'm getting Bill and Bob mixed up here for fun, <laughs> by the way. Bob's his brother. I'm thinking Bob Paisley as well. Anyway, so the young kid goes into into Bill's office and says, boss, I've got a problem. And Bill says, what's up? He said, uh, my girlfriend's expecting a baby. And Bill just looked at him and said, geez, son, we've created a monster. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> but there's millions of those. I, I, I got to ask you, Steve, something funny here. We're comparing generations. We've got about two minutes left before we got to head to break here. But what do you think the late, great Bill Shankly would think of the current Liverpool manager, that, that quirky German named Jurgen Klopp? How do you think Shankly and Klopp would get along? No, I think, I think, you, uh, I think Shanks would approve. Um, you know, Liverpool through Shankly to Paisley and Fagan and Kenny, up until then, they really had guys who were sort of men of the people, people that identified with the, with the, 
the ordinary paying man, you know. And I think that's what Klopp does. I think Klopp can see what it's all about with supporters. I think he definitely feels like one of them. Uh, It just feels right. To me, he looks like another one of those guys that I mentioned. A guy who's interested in, in the supporters and interested in the history of the club and everything else. So I, I think Shanks would be, would be pretty happy that Klopp's in charge. What a dream that is. I feel like that is just one of the most beautiful visuals I've, I've ever conceived. It's, it's just Shanks and Kloppo in a pub on Merseyside together, just telling stories, sharing footballing philosophies. That is golden. Someone out there in, in cinematic power land, please, please make this happen in some form or another. Jurgen Klopp and Bill Shankly sharing some pints together at a pub on Merseyside. Steve Nickel is here with yours truly, Nate Abarea on World Soccer Talk Radio. It's the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Talking a little bit more about the Kloptimism on display right now with Liverpool. Talking about their pathway into the League Cup final against Manchester City and hopes for a top four finish in in the Barclays Premier League. Is it too far-fetched? Is it beyond the wildest dreams? Or is it perhaps a reality considering the parity on display in the Premier League this season? And we'll talk a little bit about the FA Cup this weekend with Liverpool and West Ham. A whole lot more to get into regarding the mighty Reds of Merseyside. Steve Nichol and yours truly, Nate Abarea, back with you after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. Listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nate Abarea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. How'd you like to play football against the Germans? Why not? Soccer Talk Radio, back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Having a little bit of a laugh there off the air. Steve Nickel still with us here on the show. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST and tweet all of us at World Soccer Talk. Continuing this conversation on Jurgen Klopp. Steve, before we get into the FA Cup fixture with West Ham and, and even next month's uh, Capital One Cup final at Wembley against Manchester City and, and the Premier League chances for Liverpool here this season, I want to talk a little bit more about your first impressions of Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, you've known about him since you know, long before October when he was hired by Liverpool. You go, you go back to the, the days at Dortmund and, and you may have even known about him in, in the days at Mainz and everything that, that he did in Germany as kind of this groundbreaking young manager. But when you first saw him take charge at Liverpool and you saw the, the sideline antics and you saw the intensity and the, the passion and a little bit of that off-kilter German craziness and the, the broken glasses and everything that, that goes with it. What went through your mind seeing that coming to a club that, that means the world to you, seeing that come to Liverpool? Uh, to be honest, my first thought was that this guy fits. He looked as though he fit into that dugout or, or standing in front of it. He just 
to me fit. Uh, I, I can't say I'm I'm a hundred percent behind you know all the the running around and and all the antics, uh, but. Listen, if there's a choice between showing passion and not showing any, I'll take that any day of the week. Well, that, that transitions into something else I wanted to ask you about, and that is that going back to your playing days, do you think you could take a guy like Jurgen Klopp seriously as as a player when you talk about all the all the running around, all the quirkiness? Is it something that would maybe put you a little bit off, or, or could you deal with it and go, hey, that guy's, that guy's got my back, he's passionate, let's go to battle? Yeah, I, I think you, you brought up the most important thing there. I think I think Klopp does have their backs, and as a player, uh, no matter what happens, if 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 a head guy has got your back, then that'll do. Listen, there's, everybody can step out of line or not be playing well and 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 deserve a an earful. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you know that the guy in charge has got your back. Then, then you'll run through a brick wall for him. Um, other, other than that, I, I'd have to say I like I like the way he gets people motivated. Uh, listen, the best players motivate themselves, but it doesn't it doesn't do any harm when you've got another another guy standing beside you just ratcheting it up another little gear, uh, and basically showing that he wants you, uh, and that's huge. I don't care how much money you're earning or how how many medals you have. If you're stepping on the field and you've got a guy standing on the touchline and you know all he wants is for you to do well and the team to do well, then again, it's huge for any football player. Well, it would seem as if the antithesis of, of what we're talking about here, this, this prototype that we're, we're bringing to the stage here that, that very much represents Jurgen Klopp, it seems like the antithesis of all this would be the manager currently, for I don't know how much longer, but the current manager of a club known as Manchester United. And I have to ask you about Louis van Gaal now. I have to ask you about, about LVG in, in this regard. Do you think... You, again, going back to your playing days and some of the guys that, that you were teammates with even, maybe you can, can speak for some of them. Do you think you and, and some of your teammates of the past would have been able to play for, for Louis van Gaal? Would you guys have been able to, to pump yourselves up enough considering some of the things that, that you just brought up there in terms of the strengths of Jurgen Klopp that may be some of the flaws of, of LVG? I mean, at the end of the day, we're guessing. I, he doesn't particularly inspire me watching him. Um, and the way that the United play hasn't been particularly inspiring for anybody, least of all Man United supporters and their players. So I'm not quite sure I would. I think clearly, in my eyes, he's, he's overcoached them. You know, again, you know, you, you go back to, to playing for Liverpool when I did. You know, the one thing that well, one of the many things that, that was drummed into us is that, you know, we had certain responsibilities when we didn't have the ball. But when we had it, we were let free to go and play. And I don't really think, as a footballer, you want anything else. We all understand that you have to defend. Listen, we all want to attack all the time and go forward, but you have to defend. So you get your duties defensively. But after that, it has to be about the talent and letting... Each and every player, whatever talent he may have, I said it before. You know, you're putting players in spots where they're going to do well, and if and if you do that with everybody, then the team does well. So I think he's been a little tight on them as far as the coaching's concerned, and I think that's why when they eventually get to the final third, 
three days after they started, um, they can't produce anything. Talk a little bit more about that term overcoached. Is that something that you ever found yourself guilty of or any other managers that, that you played for in, in your career? Um, I can't, well, not, not, not at the highest level, no, no. Um, after it, actually, after it finished um, at Sheffield Wednesday, before I went to Doncaster, I actually went and there was a, a little town near Sheffield called Lincoln, which would have, was really handy for me if I wanted to keep playing. And I went there and played in a played in a, a, a reserve game for them, just to see how things went with uh, myself and them. And my goodness, what an eye opener that was! Every single time I got the ball, I was told to kick it into a corner. And I can assure you, by the end of the game, my right thigh was absolutely killing me because all I did was boot it into a corner. I mean, I, I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe that was how they played, but that was how they wanted to do it. So I uh, pretty swiftly left there. <laughs> now we're talking about all, all these coaches, all these managers. I mean, on, on so many different ends here, to, you know, the, the, the two ends of the spectrum. We're talking Klopp, we're talking LVG, and talking lower league managers in England, talking Major League Soccer and the old A-League here in America, and, and terms like overcoaching and, and man-managing and all these great things. And it just makes me have to ask you, Steve, are you ever going to consider returning to soccer managing to being a a top flight manager somewhere in in the the world of football uh, i guess until i'm asked i don't know <laughs> pretty simple that's about as far as it goes if, I, if i'm asked then i'll have something to think about but up until now i haven't been asked so what well, would you would you like to be asked i don't know I really don't know. Um, I mean, I really enjoy this job, but, you know, the only thing you can never replace, whether you're a player or a coach, is on a Saturday night after the final whistle's gone and you've got three points in the bag or whatever it may be in the bag. There's just no... There's no substitute for that. At the same time, I don't mind sitting watching football seven days a week and getting paid for it. Well, I want let, let's talk a little bit more about about that gig, that gig that you are uh, quite quite good in right now and you've got a great crew with you and a very a very tight-knit crew, uh, also a crew that has been very generous to us. I want to uh, definitely tip my cap to everybody over there at ESPNFC. We had Shaq on uh, on Monday. We've had Craig Burley, Dan Thomas, Paul Mariner. The the whole lot have uh, have been on this show at, at one time or another. And and I have to ask you about the the tight-knit quality of that because you guys have this great cast of, of ex-footballers and some shows, you know, you guys are with each other one day a week or, or one day every two weeks. You guys are around each other quite a lot and, and maybe maybe too much at, at, at sometimes. But uh, in, in regards to the tight-knit quality, it almost seems like it's a football team. It almost seems like I'm looking at a club over there, that ESPN FC is this, is this club of, of these players that are developing this chemistry, this cohesion together. Talk about that a little bit and, and what that means for you to have that level of, of familiarity with, with the rest of the crew over there. Well, I would definitely agree that we do. Well, we are pretty tight now. I think, I think that comes across in the, in the program. But I think I think it also helps the program. You know, we we've spent our 
our lives pretty much in a in a sort of dressing room environment. Uh, and when you do that, you have to be you have to be well. You can't be you can't be selfish. You know, if if the only person in the room that, that counts is you, 24 hours a day, then it's not going to work. Fortunately, we we kind of take that dressing room mentality into the show. You know, it's about giving your opinion. And not everybody's going to agree all the time. Uh, and if I disagree with you or somebody disagrees with me, then that's all it is. It, it's, it's not a personal thing. We just happen to think differently about different things. And so the fact that when we have a go at each other on the on the show, it doesn't spill over the same way it doesn't spill over when you're when you're in a dressing room and you're winding people up and somebody's getting the Mickey taken out of them more than somebody else. So that whole dressing room mentality, I think, I think is well, I think it definitely helps us on the show. What is your favorite angry Craig Burley story in your time at ESPN SC? He's been getting quite passionate about everything with Manchester United and Louis van Gaal of late, but there's so many more good ones. What is your favorite memory of an angry Craig Burley moment? Jesus. I mean, what day, what day of the week are we talking? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. The, the best angry one that comes to my mind about all of us is was Alejandro Moreno when when Steve Bruce said that it's the culture of of um, the Latin Americans to dive. He absolutely went bananas and was screaming at the camera. He couldn't get close enough to the camera to tell Steve Bruce what he thought of him and where he, where he could stick his uh, opinion about diving in, in Latin America and South America. <laughs> But the bully one's impossible to answer because, as I said, just pick a day of the week and you'll get you'll get you'll get some. Have you ever thought that Craig was was going to to strangle Dan Thomas? Because I've I've always wondered it, and I've asked them both that on on the show, and they both say no, no, absolutely, it's it's all absolutely not, it's all in good fun. And then I see what day of the week it is, and I I wonder sometimes if Craig is going to hop across the couch and just take control of of Dan Thomas's neck. No, I think maybe that's why he sits away across from him. So by the time he tries to get across there, he'll, he'll have lost that rage. But no, not at all. As I said, it, it, it definitely it's, it's a it's a pure dressing room mentality that we have. You know, same things going in a dressing room. Um, and very, very rarely does it get out of hand. And so far, it hasn't got out of hand at all with us, and I'm sure it never will. All right, Steve, favorite guy on the uh, ESPN FC crew to grab a pint with, most enjoyable uh, pint partner once the working day is is over, of course. To grab a pint with. To be honest, you'd be surprised at Burley. He's, he's not such an angry man with a pint of beer in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all it takes to calm down Craig Burley, apparently. Yeah, yeah, and he's, and he's called, uh, and he's called pint. That, that's all it takes. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. So uh, the, the last thing that I got to ask you about is, is the, the near and distant future for Liverpool and for your work with ESPN FC. Next month, Liverpool are back in, in a cup final trying to win a trophy for the first time since 2012, which was also a League Cup final uh, at, at Wembley. They actually beat Cardiff uh, that, that time around back in, in 2012. But Steve, we, we close with this one. 
Do you think Liverpool can can beat Manchester City again? I mean, the way they did in the league definitely gives you some hope as a Liverpool fan. But do you think Liverpool can defeat Manchester City in the League Cup final in about one month's time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, Klopp, Klopp has shown that he can motivate the players. Um, and in a cup final, players, players are motivated anyway, but he can make that difference. Just that extra little, that extra little push that I was talking about earlier. I think he can make that difference. Uh, Liverpool going into underdogs, no question, because they're not as good a side as Man City. Uh, individually, they're, they're not close to it. As far as that's concerned, he has to make a lot of changes. But in a, in a one-game situation in a cup final, he definitely can be the difference maker and get his players in a position where they feel invincible and and feel as though they can't lose the game and, and indeed go on and win it. Absolutely. Steve, how can folks get a hold of you uh, on Twitter, sir? Uh, my Twitter handle would be Steve Nickel. Hold on a second. Let me see. I can't even remember it. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't even remember it. Well, I know, I know there's, I know there's I a number twitter, in there. I never, I never Twitter myself, so I don't know. <laughs> you've, been, you've been fairly involved. I mean, I mean, I've interacted with you a little bit on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's Steve Nichols 61. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the charming wit never goes away from this man. I swear to God. Steve Nichol, you are such a great guest on this show. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been wanting to get you on for, for some time. And you're welcome back anytime and say hello to uh, the rest of that fantastic crew over there at ESPN FC for us. All right, no problem. Anytime. Again, that was Steve Nichol. You can follow him on Twitter. Be sure to give that handle out one more time. We're back after this. World Soccer Talk Radio Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Another huge thank you to Steve Nickel for joining us in this edition of World Soccer Talk Radio. We never actually got to the next match at hand for Liverpool Football Club, that fourth round FA Cup tie tomorrow against West Ham. How's this for a little fearless Friday forecast prediction? Robin Burt, I hope you're listening. Will Liverpool beat West Ham? You bet your iron hammer assed they will. Liverpool three, West Ham one. The hammer's out of the cup. Liverpool move on to the fifth round. I move on to my weekend. Come on, you Shasta Wolfpack. Come on, you mighty Reds. Signing off. Bye for now. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.